Hello and welcome to Refigure, Season 4, the check-in season. In a world. Um, hello, I'm Reefer. And I'm Christopher and this is your weekly bite-sized journey into the arts, culture, tech and diversity in our house. Excellent. What's on the menu today, Chris? Well, we're going to talk about um, all the musician friends we know who've been streaming their gigs and trying this whole explosion of Facebook Live shows. Um, Not just music, but mostly music. And we're also going to talk about excellent Korean-Canadian sitcom Kim's Convenience, which returned for season four this week on Netflix, and we binged it all. How are you, Rifa? How are you doing? I'm tickety-boo, thank you very much. I'm having a great time. I love a lockdown meet. No, I'm having a great time. It's coming up to Easter. I just started craving eggs today and I thought it's not an emergency. It's not an emergency. I can't go out the house. I'm not allowed. I can stay at home and just dream about eggs. I went to try and find some eggs and I didn't. We probably could find eggs if we actually wandered around to lots of different shops, couldn't we? But it wouldn't feel safe. It's not safe. Um, we're doing quite well because we are very in the centre of things in Brighton and I just am in awe of how brilliantly people are coping. There are so many different Facebook groups at the moment that are helping people find where they can get their daily shop because a lot of the supermarkets are uh, restricting their delivery times and uh, wholesalers and local shops are trying to keep in business so this weekend we are getting our sunday roast for easter delivered from forgotten cuts which is a a caterer i've used before and they're amazing and they're going to give us a vegan roast which would be lovely with all the trimmings yeah we're having a very middle class lockdown aren't we because we've also had bread delivered by two different local kind of hipster nice posh bakeries it's pretty expensive but we're not that middle class because we're not actually making bread and I think that everyone is doing a really great job. You, dear listener, are doing a really good job because I felt like the atmosphere changed as soon as the Easter holidays technically started at the beginning of this week because people look more chilled and they feel like they're not having to like do a load of schoolwork as well with their kids. There did seem to be a really palpable first burst of stress for everybody when the school shut and suddenly people were like, having to juggle looking after children at home and perhaps educating them according to what the school was still trying to teach them remotely and at the same time do their jobs and just get on with their lives and be busy and that seemed really stressful and especially teachers like imagine I heard quite a lot of horror stories anecdotally of parents finding that the amount of work that was being sent home or the the way that teachers were teaching remotely was really difficult but funnily enough I put a little survey up on Twitter saying do you feel that the school is doing too much or not enough to continue education once the kids are at home and actually more than half the people that replied I got about like I don't know 80 or 90 responses to this little survey more than half said they thought the schools have got it just about right so that's cool yeah. I think it was really sweet about the the New Zealand Prime Minister addressing kids about Easter bunnies because um, one of the things that could have been done really simply and a friend of mine, Georgina, said this too on her Facebook, the leaders of the our country could have said something directly to students who were studying for their A-levels and GCSEs and just said to them something of comforting you know, and address them directly instead of kind of just 
um, cancelling everything. I mean, nobody at all did anything. I didn't see any Labour lead, anybody at all, any address the young people of this country. So anyway, what are we going to talk about this week? Let's talk about uh, streaming gigs. Oh, yes. So why is it that we've got suddenly every single person in the whole world is getting out their guitar and playing on the internet? Chris, explain. (laughs) (laughs) It started really with a lot of musicians getting their tours cancelled. A lot of the summer festivals have been cancelled as well. And I think the very first spike in online gigs was artists who were on tour up until the point where they realised they couldn't be on tour, trying to fundraise either for their support acts or for other artists or for their crew or just to try and cut off some of the losses that will be. And particularly in the folk world, I think the losses are going to be absolutely astronomical in the folk scene. The bread and butter is like a lot of gigs doing loads of shows through summer and touring long and hard as well. And then lots of artists who maybe weren't on tour and uh, weren't gigging particularly hard still want to dip their toes in and try it out and do it. So I liked um, Grace Petrie's alphabet you like cover versions that she did. So she did, she lives with some musicians, so she's been able to do like covers of All Saints, Never Ever, for example. I enjoyed those. But also it's de-stressing, isn't it, maybe for them, the musicians, to actually do something. Uh, I wasn't regularly listening until maybe Never Ever, but um, for the letter R, she did Romeo and Juliet, the Dire Straits song, and that version is, honestly, Grace and Ben, who she's doing the work with, stripped it down to the sort of emotional heart of it and turned it into this beautiful love song. And I swear I watched it and I was booing, properly crying halfway through. And I think You can't say booing. Oh yeah, I mean I wasn't booing, I was crying. (laughs) And I honestly think that was the best version of any version of Dire Straits song I've ever heard, was that. Um, Uh, Mostly people are doing those on Instagram or Facebook and if you're already following those artists then you can get into I seem to be following quite a lot of supermarkets and shops on my <laughs> corner shops now on Facebook just to find out where they're opening that's all my life is consumed with where I can get an egg I like to uh, Patrick Stewart the uh, iconic actor and Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek he's reading all the Shakespeare sonnets in order one a day he also kind of introduces each one, explains them, chats about them a bit, and then does a reading. Uh, the other thing is it's that thing of informality. So one of the things that we've got used to is that people are being very honest about what they're doing. So you get someone in a room and they literally are just in their living room singing you some songs. There's been a kind of rebirth of just, it's about whether, whether you connect with that person or not and whether you like the music. It's, it's stripped away a lot of the trappings. And so someone like... Someone like Patrick Stewart, he's not got a stage or a set, he's not, he's not a starship captain, he's a bloke in a Gillian Welsh t-shirt reading you a sonnet. It pinpoints his core brilliance as a performer. That's the bit that I've really loved about these whole, this whole switch. I'm sure that's the same for every, we've all boiled down to the essence of what we can contribute right now. So like that's why people go into this mode of like, I've got to help all my neighbours or I'm going to share loads of stuff on Twitter about stuff, you know. It, we all go into our true selves when there's a crisis. 
our response is like whatever we've got to hand, whatever our skills are. Do you think that we are our best and our worst selves in this situation? I think it will bring up a lot of stuff like, you know, people have to spend time with their families. You know, they have to engage with um, the world in a different way. They have to like put aside a lot of stuff in order to like get over themselves to be seen on camera for example like on zoom like meetings you know just in general and chatting to people not everybody's comfortable doing that and forcing us to sort of rethink the ways that we are delivering our goods if you like you know across the board whether it's the arts basic food stuffs i'm really uncomfortable doing video meetings and i've got used to it really quickly like so the first two i was just really horrible, really struggled with it constantly, just looking at myself and hating myself. And now I've definitely learned how to sort of forget your own, the image of you, or switch it off and just look at the other people and try Well, there are way. apps that you can just put a filter on, as our friend Harry Brignall showed us the other day, <laughs> yeah. the Snap the snap um, app, which can show, like, you can just snap cam yourself and then put a different filter on your face. What was I going to say about that? It was really good. Oh, yeah, just the fact of, like... So lots of people are sending out lots of information about how to do good Zoom calls or what, you know, the conventions. And I've been watching and being part of quite a lot of different coaching call type things for for years now. And there are conventions to make you feel that you're all part of a a conversation just happening in your living room rather than being somebody teaching you in Australia, for example. But the essence of what you do like if you're a good presenter, if you're engaging anyway, it's fine. You know, like it's the same thing. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact that we do a podcast, the fact that we have got some things to say, it doesn't really matter. If the substance of what you do, whatever you do, and you do it with a good heart and you do it with like your, I don't know, if you're a natural at it, you're fine. You're fine. I'm not sure I agree with that because I think that the audio and the visual are very different mediums. Like the the kind of classic phrase in the old days, oh, so-and-so has a face for radio. Like okay. some of us, and I think of me as one of those people, I'm really comfortable with my speaking voice and my singing and my music and existing in an audio frame. So like I'm really happy doing that. That doesn't mean I think I'm brilliant. It just means I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. The minute it becomes video, it's a different thing for but me. But it's just ch- changing. Like I really like video. I think I think I'm much better with video, and uh, I just enjoy it. But I can't do it when I'm on my own. Ah, uh, yeah. And I had to train myself when we were doing the radio shows every week to sort of picture in my mind the one person or the few people that are on my side that want to hear what I've got to say even doing this if I think oh I'm doing it to I don't know some of your friends who work in tv or radio then I will get nervous and start worrying about the way that I'm coming across if I think oh I'm just doing it to my she says crew for example who always got my back then it's like totally fine and I'm just being myself that's why yeah who else did you particularly enjoy on the concert front I think my favourite consistent one who's been doing several is Tom Williams. He's been doing coffee morning posts. Each morning he kind of gets up and has a cup of coffee and chats to people and sings a couple of tracks, sometimes his own tracks, sometimes covers. He's really openly connecting with people first and keeps it really light. And I think one of, a couple of the reasons it's been really lovely is that Tom has a very light touch way about him that is really appealing. He's really casually, effortlessly good at just singing an acoustic song. 
He is also a teacher. Yes. So he's very good at this calm demeanour and he explains things slowly and he's just himself, which is what we respond to whenever we see anybody on camera, when people are being their true authentic selves, which is what I was saying earlier. I think he started it because he got ill right at the beginning, before anyone was locked down, before it was a big thing. He was one of the first people who had to self-isolate and he had to for two weeks. When he was self-isolating and it felt like to him that the rest of the world was still going about his business, that's when he started these morning coffees. And I think there is an honest sense that he did it as out of a need for himself to kind of communicate as you say, there's like an authenticity at the heart of it, a real reason. And also, actually, and I know this is a horrible tech point, but it's a really good camera and it's really good quality because some of the, uh, some of the what potentially would have been the best of these streams have been tripped up by sort of really poor internet connections and stuff. I think it's the lighting as well. Oh, yeah, so yeah. it made a massive difference to me to have a lamp that, with a natural light bulb in it. And they have beautiful flat in Hastings where they have this natural light in the morning and it's pretty quiet. So, yeah, it's perfect and it's very relaxing and he's not trying too hard. That's the other thing. There's so much stuff at the moment. Somebody just sent me something today saying all her tips about how to run a Zoom call. And it just struck me that you just need to be relaxed. You're already a good presenter and we can we can do this. You know, it's it's just being yourself. And if things go wrong, it's how you respond to it. I enjoyed watching Fortet mainly because he really was in some what looked like a some sort of bunker in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a forest and it was like secret location and he just did a massive massive three-hour set or something and it was really brilliant. I really liked Self-Esteem's Pussy Pandemic Festival that she ran over a weekend and uh, some of the bigger names at that were like Soak performed, Katie Tunstall performed and obviously Self-Esteem herself. Roxanne DeBastian performed and then promptly got coronavirus and got really ill. Oh. And then... Um, Katie Tunstall nearly made me cry with her little bit of stuff around like being brave and and looking out for each other and then her song was in a that's what's her song it was in my the, head for absolutely yeah, ages um, one of the big hits wasn't it oh i can't remember gonna have to put a little put a little bit in there and it was really uplifting i tell you what made me really cry the other day was watching that little kid uh some three-year-old singing three little verses that was really cute that was so cute Super cute. There's a musician I've known for years and years called Sophie Galpin. She's a brilliant musician. She's a session musician and she's been in loads of bands. And uh, she's currently playing in Self-Esteem's band and in Soak's band. And she used this Pussy Pandemic festival to debut her new thing i know i know and i feel self-conscious saying pussy it pandemic. Uh, yeah pussy, pussy, pandemic. Pussy, pussy, oh, that word. God. and um she's got a new thing called soft lad and she debuted it and it was just brilliant brilliant songs and it's not an artist that anyone's necessarily heard of yet and the thing I loved about it was you actually start to get brand new music being shared for the first time. That's literally the debut of a brand new artist, effectively. That's the first opportunity to see her in any form. And obviously we won't see an actual gig for a long time. And it felt like that's what that's really exciting. So what, are people donating, like money to these people because what I've noticed in the Zumba and yoga world is that some people are running their courses and their cl- classes and, and asking for cash money up front but I don't know how you police that particularly well a lot of people are putting up um, PayPal 
cool. donation things. Some bigger artists are doing it for other causes rather than themselves. So when Frank Turner started, he was one of the first up. And his first live stream was specifically because his tour had got cancelled. And he had American support acts. And they were in the UK, stuck, suddenly losing the income of being tour supports. And also, his band and crew, huge crew of people that totally rely on him being a hard-gigging artist. So he did a big live stream where he got the two support acts as well. And his partner, Jess, who's also an artist, they all performed in, in their house. All of the money from that first one then went to the crew and sort of underwrote the losses from the tour. But then he's been carrying on doing them each week. But each time he's nominated a different small venue, because obviously you can imagine small venues are in absolute, it's a disaster. People are donating for small venues. And and so that's a way of doing it. I think a lot of smaller artists are just fundraising for themselves. Yeah, and hoping, which is fair Which enough. is totally fine. Yeah, completely cool. Which is fair enough. I, I would if I was still a I mean, I was thinking, how would I have handled it if I was a musician? Yeah, well, let's not think about that, hey. No. Chris. You shut that down really well. <laughs> let's not... Right, so in between our seasons of this podcast, uh, we watched the first season of Kim's Convenience and we didn't review it then. And now we're on the second season, it's on Netflix. It's on season four. What? I think it's just the second season. It's not. Okay, well, whatever. Mm. We've never reviewed. Let me start again. Well, let's find out which. You don't need to worry about clicking, but let's I'm find out which it. season it is. It's season four. Answer the question, Chris. You're going to introduce Kim's Convenience yeah, now that you, you know look, that... What, what, you were telling me what season it was. I did, I told you. What? Four. It say, the best before this date. After this date, not the best, but the still pretty good. It's meat. A bad meat goes bad. You go bad. If someone buys your ravioli and gets sick, you could get sued. That would be bad. Ah, you don't know what you're talking. Be careful, Mr. Kim. In restaurant business, you serve one bad dumpling, you get a lawsuit up the wazoo. Hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. Really? Because I literally just said the same thing. Janet, God give to you two ears and one mouth. Listen two more times, then you're talking. But I'm the one who said Stop. that... Stop! Listen. Listen. Can't you just admit that... Listen. We have been watching season four of Kim's Convenience, which is about a Korean family who live and work in a convenience store in Canada. And it's super interesting and fun and well-written and we've really enjoyed it. It's all the nuances of a family uh, who are immigrants, but also have like stereotypes about Asian families and how they treat their kids and honour and um, embarrassment and all of the usual sort of farcical things that go on. I particularly enjoy the fact that they're Korean Christians and there is a pastor who um, is a mixed race woman who has got lots of awkward quirks of her own and she is always there's lots of misunderstandings. It's very much in the style of 80s comedy sitcoms uh, that we all enjoyed like uh, it reminds me of a bit of Desmond's from the 80s barbershop comedy um, in uh, South London and it reminds me of um, the Golden Girls and those sorts of heartwarming sort of 
comedies because everything always gets resolved in the end, even if there's a little bit of racism. What do you think of that, Chris? Yeah, really love Kim's Convenience. I don't know how popular or well-watched it is or anything because each time they add a new season, nobody seems to bang on about it like they do about some other shows. But every episode is genuinely funny. It could be a bit cloying because it's a it's got it's a warm-hearted sitcom, so it could be cloying. But they're really good with the balance of total like slapstick fast bits that are just pure stupid and pure like awkward misunderstanding comedy, and the slightly warmer, more kind of arc bits like the relationships do continue to develop and unfold all the way through. Also, it's one of those shows where lots of minor characters are also consistent. And Like you just mentioned, Pastor Nina, she's a really consistent character. Some of the regular shoppers in the convenience store who are kind of friends but kind of not of the Kim family, they're really consistent as well. The big high concept, such as it is, is that the two kids are grown-up kids, so they're the daughter, Janet, is a photography student and the son, Chung or John, is working in a car hire place and they're both adult kids who live away but have a lot of contact with their parents and still come back to the, the shop all the time. I think that's quite a rare format. Like I think, yeah, And totally. also that's a format that does rely on the immigrant-type family to work because it's the classic drama and comedy in trying to navigate these two different systems so that the parents have come from somewhere else but the kids have grown up in Canada. There's some really awkward moments where for example one episode where the work colleagues all go out for lunch and they go to a a Chinese place and they, they end up telling the story back in the workplace using the accent of the Chinese server and it all gets a bit awkward when the uh, Canadian girl tries to do the accent as well. And it all becomes really awkward. And then there's a whole discussion about whether it's okay to... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. Whether it's okay to take the piss out of Chinese people's accent if you happen to be Korean. Um, and <laughs> because you're all kind of the same. Or if it's okay to take the piss out of an Asian person, like an Indian looking person with an Australian accent, they address it in a really lighthearted way. But it's the awkwardness of everything, which reminds you of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is much more blatant. It's a nicer, more PG certificate show than Curb Your Enthusiasm, but it does navigate that really well. It's really sharply written. I was going to say something and I forgot what it was. i tell you what I really love is they're a really cute couple, right? So they're a Korean couple and they often talk about... Do you mean Mr and Mrs Kim? Yes, Mr and Mrs Kim, who run the convenience store. They've been married for a long time. They're middle-aged and they get jealous still about um, whether one gets more attention than, you know, or getting attention, or they get jealous about different things going on and they're like they're really cute couple but they also were really super strict with their kids and so there's this whole episode where the mum is upset that her daughter when she was a little girl drew pictures of her when she was a witch and that whole like exchange of everybody trying to like pretend that it wasn't she was a really lovely mum for a few seconds they have this really lovely conversation the couple in bed about how they were never shown love when they were growing up themselves. Their parents didn't know how to bring them up in the way that, that their children expected them to. And I felt that really strongly. And that is the immigrant story, you know, that the way that we think we should be treated by our parents in the West 
was very different. Oh, I can't remember which character says it, but one of the characters says, well, that's fine, you're 20% less mean than your mum, and hopefully Janet will be 20% less mean than you, and so on and so on. Yeah, it's the dad yeah. says it to the mum. Fantastic. I would love to know why, what makes things successful or not. Like, maybe, I'm totally wrong. I mean, it's on season four, it's not doing too yeah, badly. Yeah, it's fine, isn't it? But it's just no one seems to mention it. And Master but of None had your... all these huge acclaim and... Yeah, um, but it's just you know, different. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, everyone gets excited about the new season of that, or, you know... Yeah, well, you know why. Because there's no white characters at the central characters at the centre of it. You know, on Korean Twitter, they're probably talking about it a lot. <laughs> like, I, I often think that... Well, obviously, because of the stuff that we, we watch, I get served... Uh, when Kitty Wonga puts out a, a, a new special or uh, she's in a new rom-com, you know, we're the ones talking about it. That's the whole point of this podcast, yeah. is to tell people about some other stuff that they may not be aware of. Thanks for explaining it to me. Just telling you. <laughs> what are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? Right. What are you reading for, Reefer? I have seemed to be getting through my pile of books that it takes me ages to read. I am on the first, I'm really sorry, all the Ben Ockrey fans out, out there. I This is the first Ben Ockrey book I've ever written and he had <laughs> ever read. It's okay. Was Ben Ockrey the, the guest director ages ago for the Brighton Festival? He may have been, yeah. Okay, so he, you'll know him from The Famished Road, but he's written loads and loads of books and he got the... Um, oh yeah, he won the Booker Prize in 91 for The Famished Road. So this is his book of short stories. The cover is super nice. I'll put, post a picture of it on the Instagram. Um, which is Refigure UK, and it's called Prayer for the Living, and it's his short stories. Each one is an absolute gem. They span the whole world. They're some set in London, some set in Turkey, some set in Lagos, and they're just beautiful little poems almost of like a snapshot into a world that you have never experienced before. One of the stories I've been reading is like a surreal tale of this man that's always wanting to visit Byzantium, but he's never had the chance. And then he meets this mysterious character in a coffee shop who does some sort of spell on him. And then he finds himself transported to this world where he can really feel being in Istanbul. And it's a dream. I mean, it's so vivid. I can just see it as a, as a beautiful little short film or a whole massive film. I don't know. It's particularly magic realism. Um, and then others are just like little tiny stories that are just a beautiful snapshot into a world that we just don't know. I really enjoyed it. Um, your sister gave me that for Christmas, so thank you very much, Layla. It's a beautiful book. It's called Prayer for the Living by Ben Ockrey. What are you reading, Mr Chris? Well, I'm still wading my way through uh, The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel, the final part of the Wolf Hall trilogy. It's beautiful, it's brilliant, it's too heavy. And what I've been doing is alternating it with another really brick-heavy book. This is old. It's um, A History of the World in a Hundred Objects, which is Neil McGregor, who is director of the British Museum. There was an epic Radio 4 series uh, where each episode was one object from human history that signified a lot for our human our our development as a race our development as 
as a civilization. It's <laughs> signified a lot for our development as a human All civilization. The they stole. And uh, yeah, it is lots of things that the British Museum stole, but that's fair play because Neil McGregor himself is very um, progressive and pragmatic on that stuff. So basically, there's a book of it, and it's it is what it says. It's a hundred objects from different eras of history, so you can drop in and out. It's like one of your books where you drop I in and out, it. and you get a little bit of wisdom by looking at an object and reading about it. And even though it's the size of a house brick, it's perfect. I opened it at random, and I got a Buddha. That's what happened when I did it. Excellent. That's it. Thanks very much for listening. I've got one thing that I want to plug next week. It's called uh, my Clarity and Purpose Workshop, and you can join in online it's pay what you like but you need to pay at least a pound if you go to clarity-purpose-april2020.eventbrite.co.uk or you can go to my website and go to the events page you'll see a link to it so yeah if you want to come along and it'd be fun a bit of meditation and a bit of coaching tips too I took part in another podcast, Julia Rayside's fantastic uh, Box of Delights podcast, which is short conversations about moments from TV history. And I got to pick one of my favourites. And I picked a scene from The West Wing. And we had a really funny, lovely conversation about that. And then, get this, Richard Schiff, the actor what plays Toby Ziegler in The West Wing, listened to it and liked it and sent me a nice tweet. What? Yep, yep, and... Bird York, who plays Andrea Wyatt, who was the other main actor in the scene, also sent me a nice tweet. So me and Julia were really chuffed about that. Um, it's a really good episode of a really good series. I'm really proud of it. We had a good old natter. And, um, it, and it's called A Box of Delights. So go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and search for A Box of Delights. It's really good. That's the only thing I want to plug, I think. Excellent. Follow us on Twitter. We are Refigure Pod. We're Refigure UK on Instagram. And on Facebook... Facebook, we're Refigure Pod. Okay. You can communicate with us. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on. Well, also, get in touch and tell us how you are and uh, how you've been, because this is supposed to be a check-in, and at the moment, it's good for us to check in with each other. But, um, yeah, if you want to say hello and say how you're doing, uh, and if you want um, to be read out, we'll read you out. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Right.